medical community, there's an approach to care known as evidence-based practice. Evidence-based practice involves the synthesis of patient values, clinical expertise, and evidence from scientific research. In other words, evidence-based practice takes findings from reliable studies and combines that evidence with what patients say and how medical practitioners historically respond in a given situation. While that might seem like common sense, it goes against the habitual grain of how things have always been done. It questions the authority of practices that have been passed down from one care provider to the next. That passing down of knowledge is known as anecdotal practice. As in, it is based on anecdotes passed from care provider to care provider. One example of the tension between these two practices is whether or not to give oxygen to patients that suffer from COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. There's an anecdotal belief that providing oxygen to patients with COPD leads to hypercarbia, acidosis, or even death. But research has shown the opposite. In fact, oxygen prevents hypoxia and organ failure, and studies by the Medical Research Council show that patients with risk of death from COPD show a 75% increase in survival when given oxygen. Huh, oxygen helps. <laughs> Funny. As you can imagine, evidence-based practice has revolutionized healthcare and transformed the role of anecdotal practice. In today's gospel, we see a tension between anecdotal and evidence-based practice. Jesus appears to his disciples, but Thomas misses it. I know we know this story, this Easter story, this reappearance story, but this is a huge deal, eh? And it is really weird. It is so weird. Thomas is not just taking the disciples' word that their teacher appeared as a semi-zombie. He is not interested in anecdotal evidence. He wants research. Or as my lab-based friends say, research. <laughs> when Mary Beth was living in Philly, for some reason we had a lot of friends that worked either in research or Finance. <laughs> but I digress. Back to research. Thomas wants to conduct some research to gather some evidence. Fair enough, right? So Jesus comes back and gives him that evidence. And Thomas goes full steam ahead with his evidence-based practice. By the way, Thomas gets a lot of slack historically. People in the West, we call him Doubting Thomas. Ooh, boo-hoo. What a wet blanket that guy must have been, right? No, 
Thomas was awesome. <laughs> Aside from this whole evidence-based thing, uh, Thomas traveled the world. I didn't know this until I went to India, but Thomas, uh, the, the, the greater hist- history says that Thomas brought Christianity to India. It's absolutely incredible. He hung out in Kerala. If anybody's hung out in Kerala, you know what a treasure that is. It's an amazing part of the world. If you haven't been, get down there, southwest coast of India. While in Kerala, Thomas apparently founded seven and a half churches. I don't know what that half church looks like, but uh, maybe that sounds like something kind of fun. Uh, Anyway, yeah, maybe the Way Collective is like a half church. (laughs) But he also started this uh, this St. Thomas Christian denomination, uh, which is one of the most ancient and uh, long-lasting, you know, uh, steadily lasting uh, Christian traditions in the whole world. Of course, travels being what they are, Thomas was killed in Chennai, and his bones were apparently brought back to Odessa. Anyway, Thomas took what he was given and ran with it. Nice work, Thomas. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let's get back to your teacher. On the surface, Jesus is admittedly anecdotal. He tells a lot of stories. He bases his public ministry on stories, on parables. But in his time, Jesus was advocating for the best and latest research. You have heard it said, love your neighbor. I say, love your enemy. Research shows that healing on the Sabbath is still healing. (laughs) Research shows that no one adds a a hair to their head by worrying. Latest scientific findings. But more important than the evidence, more important than the anecdotes, most important to Jesus was the peace. What's the first thing Jesus says to his disciples? Peace be with you. He says it twice. It's sort of a strange thing for Jesus to say in this context, right? He's just been killed by an occupying army at the request of his own people, and now he's back from the dead, whatever that means. Are the disciples in danger of the Romans? Apparently, it sounds like they were. They were locking themselves away so they would not be killed, either by the Romans or by the chief priests. They're wondering, can we party now that you are back with us? What do you mean? Peace. By peace, Jesus means shalom. This Hebrew word we translate as peace implies so much more than a state of tranquility or quiet, as Webster's defines peace. Shalom implies well-being. It implies relationship, safety, security, wholeness, and completion. Completion. Jesus is reminding his closest friends that the work is complete. Sort of. Theologian Cornelius Plantinga described shalom as the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight. He goes on to say that in the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing. 
universal flourishing. I love that. Love that. The notion of shalom transcends a single tradition. Jewish expressions in Hebrew say Shabbat Shalom and Shalom Aleichem, but they have their equivalents in Muslim, Arabic, Assalamu Aleikum, to which one responds. Such a common greeting that it transcends traditions. That is what Jesus is saying as he arrives. And like Hawaiian aloha, shalom can be a greeting meaning hello and goodbye. And much like aloha, shalom is the higher purpose and state of all things. In his appearance, in his appearances to the disciples, Jesus advocates for shalom-based practices. Shalom-based practices. Forgive the sins of others. Live into relationship. Do not doubt. Believe. In his farewell discourse in John, Jesus promises peace. And here, Jesus embodies that peace. That peace has come. That shalom, that relationship, those conditions for belief. Jesus is saying, believe in the reality of God's peace with you. Believe in the possibility of the kingdom. Believe in love, eternal peace, Shakabra. In advocating for a shalom-based practice, Jesus is empowering his disciples to continue the work that he has done. And that work is not to be taken lightly. Some of you are likely familiar with a phrase that is apocryphally attributed to Voltaire, but appears in contemporary culture from the wisdom of Spider-Man. With great power comes great responsibility. The final words, Uncle Ben speaks to Peter Parker, at least in the movies, apparently in the comic books, where's Casey? <laughs> this, this quote is actually uh, not a quote. It is, uh, it is a commentary on the passage. It's not in a quote bubble. It's interesting, right? This quote has been attributed to everybody, but is really Jesus' own shalom paraphrased over millennia. To those who are given much, much will be expected, Luke twelve forty eight. Jesus is saying, this is important work, like being a doctor, a nurse, a midwife, a hospital dude, <laughs> administrator, in the great north wilds. Like being those careful and loving people, being God's beloved community, Building the kingdom of God is a great responsibility that requires our best practice. We need to be at the top of our game, to be our best in order to do this work, which is the business of sharing and giving and being in life. For singing our songs like those little guys. Those who know love, us, the beloved, I don't have my sticker on me right now, but those who you miss Lent will see 
the little stickers we have. I'll pass one to you. Those of us who know, who are oriented toward love, must go out and love others, like the apostles in Acts today. We are called to take the resources we have and spread them around. Share them. Share them with the 3.6 million dreamers, 689,000 of whom lost DACA on March 5th. Share them with the 1,500 houseless individuals here in Santa Barbara County. Share them with the 800,000 people who joined the March for Our Lives on March 24th in D.C. alone. Share our time and peace, saying, Assalamu alaikum to our Muslim sisters and brothers in the new mosque down the road. Say shalom aleichem to our Jewish neighbors. Neighbors. <laughs> that is shalom-based practice. That is the kingdom of God. That is peace with us. Amen.